I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan and today I have my good friend Andrew Ramondi back on the podcast as we talk about the NBA um, and yeah, Andrew, like since the last time we've talked um, with the Jordan podcast, uh, the Jordan Doc podcast, um, a lot of people actually, you know, listened to that one and responded pretty well to it and uh, now that we have news um, that the NBA season is finally back. Yes. No, yes. Um, I We predicted kind of at the end of our pod last time, I think we were talking about, like, what do we think the next, like, nation-capturing event will be? And um, I think social justice ended up being the answer to that in some ways, which, which I know you said we'd talk about at the end. But beyond that, I think I said, like, I wouldn't be surprised if by this time, the next time we talked, the story was going to be sports coming back in some form or fashion. And and that's where we are. I mean, I'm not particularly surprised by it. Um, Just just to to recap, basically, for anyone who who might not really know, the NBA will be coming back in a 22-team format um, in kind of a a permeable bubble environment in it's in, I just, saying this out loud. Like sometimes you do, we we're so close into this that you kind of forget how insane things actually are. Like saying this out loud is, is kind of funny. Uh, and at Walt Disney world, they're going to play eight regular season games, um, kind of with a play in format for the eighth seed. And then what I think will probably be the playoffs as usual and the set start date, Woj tweeted today that uh, it's it's good they're shooting to start on July 30th. So, yeah, I mean, we now yeah, I mean, have, um, I was going to say, you were kind of last time we were talking, as we were getting to the point where it was clear that the NBA was going to kind of make a decision here, you were saying that you kind of... I, I kind of had been tuned. I think I'd been saying a little bit more plugged in with basketball stuff than you, and I felt pretty confident about them coming back. And I remember you saying to me that you kind of were preferring almost that they didn't come back in a way. Now that now that we know, what what are kind of your initial initial thoughts? Are you excited? I mean, it's kind of hard to be excited one with the state of the world and two kind of with it being so far out. But I am definitely looking forward to the experience of, of watching basketball games, watching basketball games again. What are your kind of like now that we've had a few days for this to kind of sink in? What what do you think? I know, especially with the crazy state of the world. I'm surprised I didn't start off the podcast with, yeah, the, all, with all the craziness all the going. Cra- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't start off with my patented craziness type of talk. But it was, I mean, I'm excited that basketball is coming back, and I'm excited, like, I'm going to be able to watch it. I wonder how good the quality of the games are going to be, especially with basically a three-month layoff for a lot of these players that basically ha- have had a, a like a like an off season 
right in the middle of their season where people, you know, teams were ramping up for playoff runs and now they have to kind of re-up and recharge and kind of get going again. And I'm curious to see, like, how how these teams start playing because this is, like, the argument for it being one of the more open, I guess, um, rest of the seasons just because, like, you're basically playing half, like, a quarter of the season, basically a third of the season left and in terms of, like, playoff games and, like, the seeding games. Yeah, in terms and, of, like, temporally, for sure. Right, yeah. right. And that kind of makes it really interesting. Let's say, like, one of these teams gets super hot for, th- you know, two and a half months or whatever – that makes them NBA champions. And that brings a lot of excitement to this next, I would say, you know, three months up until October when the season's supposed to end um, through the finals, which will, which will be really weird to kind of see the NBA going on. Uh, NFL season will be started college football. If baseball ever gets going again, like, Baseball is going to be playing. English Premier League soccer for myself would be playing as well for next season. So it's just going to be absolute madness with like the sports schedule that goes on. Uh, that's going to be going on while we're studying for the bar exam. So um, yeah, it's just going to be really, it's going to be really fun to watch for me just to see some of these players, um, like which teams kind of get a grasp of this format. Um, and are able to peak extremely fast. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, but I think to some extent the fact that it is far of a ways off and they seem to have a plan for, for getting a few weeks of training camps, getting all these players together, kind of having a little bit of a ramp up, and then and then the eight games for seeding, as you mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned in my kind of rambling monologue at the top there, but basically how it's going to work is with these 22 teams which include the current eight playoff teams in the East plus the Wizards and the current eight playoff teams in the West plus the Pelicans, Spurs, Blazers, and um, uh, Blazers, Spurs, and Suns. Did I miss anyone? Did I say the Kings? The Kings too. Yeah, the Kings. Um, uh, are all going to come back and they're basically going to play eight the next, it's probably going to be something like the next eight games on your schedule with some modifications, obviously, because teams like, you know, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Warriors aren't going to be there, and, and just to make things work. Um, and at the end of that, there will be a possible two-game two, two kind of play in between the eighth and the eighth in the east or the west, depending on how close the teams are. Um so that I think by the playoff time we should have teams um, kind of rounding back in the form, as it were. But you are right; like it'll definitely resemble the like the thing I'm thinking about is almost like it's going to be like the the sort of a new season in some ways. You know what I mean? In the sense that there are going to be a lot of games going on at one time. I mean that's one kind of the underrated things about the way they're going to do it from the fact kind of from the one location, like, there are going to be a bunch of games happening every day. Like, 
how they're televised and stuff like that will will definitely be interesting. But people who want to watch basketball will be able to watch a lot of it. And, yeah, there's going to kind of be this period of, like you said, and similar to the beginning of the season, who's playing well, who's in shape, who's not, you know. But that stuff's going to take on an outsized significance because it's going to be the end of the regular season and, and the playoffs. And we're already kind of starting to see these things about, like, I don't know if you saw on Twitter today, Nikola Jokic is, like, super skinny now. But I was also reading this article about Luka Doncic being out of shape, at, you know, no surprise there and all this stuff. So so I think all of that definitely will come into play. But if you don't mind, Kevin, like, we can definitely get back to the – because I definitely want to ask some questions about, like, do we think this is the best format for – do we think the champion will have legitimacy, all that? But I'd kind of like to get some some more logistical stuff out, out of the way first, um, if you don't mind. Because I, I wanted to also ask you and specifically, like, as you know, I have kind – I feel like the COVID situation has evolved in quite an interesting way since the last time we talked. Things kind of, to my skeptical eye, seem a lot better and a lot – more uncertain at at the same time so i kind of wanted to ask you the question to see because you you i think also have look at things but you might be a little less um conspiracy maybe just less anxious and capable of looking at the last um looking at the worst case scenario than i am so i wanted to see if your mind even was in this place do you feel good about two things um based on this kind of scenario, do you feel confident that one, we're going to get to the end of it and be able to play out these three months from late July to October, you know, without having to remember the NBA kind of kicked off almost COVID panic in America with, with the suspension from the start. And B, do you think like, cause it's funny you were mentioning what team's going to get, or whatever, is it possible that we also have the thing of, like, whose team doesn't have a player get the virus, have an important player get the virus, or is that stuff you're not really caring about that much? No, I think those are two really interesting questions. I mean, to take the first question in terms of, like, like if this is going to actually finish the end, I'm, I'm curious to, I guess my... Uh, to respond with a question to that question is yeah like what is the threshold for the nba in terms of how many players get covid because i i can't imagine it not happening in terms of like at least one of these players is probably going to get it like what's the threshold in terms of canceling the rest of the season or shutting it down? Is it going to be like, if one player gets it, are you, are they going to just quarantine the player or are they going to like actually shut the league down again? Or is, or is it going to be kind of like 10 players? Is it going to be like, I don't really know what the threshold is unless maybe you've seen something on Twitter for that. Um, so I do know, like, to, to take it, take your question in a couple parts based on, like, the couple's podcasts and stuff I've listened to, it seems as if 
if one player gets it, and I believe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to the Bundesliga and stuff like that. I believe this is their kind of protocol too, which is like, if a player on the team gets it, like the basic idea is like you take that player out and isolate them and then just kind of keep going, basically. Like you, you're you not going to knock out a whole team for, for – you know what I mean? They'll keep – because they'll be testing every day, you basically isolate that one player and then just keep an eye on things, basically. I think is kind of how they're planning on doing it. And really, when you think about it, it's the only way they can do it. Because otherwise, like, okay, if the first round of the playoffs, like, you know – I'm just trying to think of a random player. The first round of, on, of the playoffs, Malik, no. Oh, my God. I tried to come up with someone, a random player, and came up with someone who wasn't on it. Gary Harris gets coronavirus. Like, they're not going to – you can't stop because the first round is going on. You know what I mean? Like, right, you right. fuck up the, the whole thing. But in terms of that question, and this does seem to be the big unknown, like people like Zach Lowe and Woj – on their podcast when they bring up this exact question that everyone has kind of talking about it ominously and like, what is the threshold going to be? And I think it's like that old quote about um, who, what Supreme court justice said about pornography. I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it or obscenity, I think it's going to be like that with like coronavirus shutdown in the NBA. Like we're going to fucking know it's bad enough when it's bad enough. You know what I mean? I would probably guess it's something akin to a whole team getting, God, wiped out is such a drastic word, but like, you know, it being widespread or like Kawhi and LeBron get it at the same time or so. That's kind of the other weird thing about it is like the fact that it's impossible to have in the NBA kind of like equal treatment for everyone because if a player gets sick, you know, there's a big difference between Gary Harris gets sick and like, oh, well, it kind of is what it is. We have to quarantine him versus like Anthony Davis getting sick. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that'll be one of the more interesting questions, because like in terms of like how good is the testing um, in terms like I, I think I've heard that the testing would is going to happen daily for yeah. each of the players and things like that. So there's not really concern there, but in terms of like, if there's like, I, I don't know, like in terms of rates, like what, like wh- how likely it is to have like a false positive or something. So like could that. I break in because they, they've, I, they, this has been discussed also. Yeah. And luckily Nate Duncan talked. So there, the false positive rate is about, I believe something like 3%. And based on the amount of people they'll be testing, they will have false positives. But basically, they'll have enough testing where if someone tests positive, they're going to test them at least one or two more times to to confirm that. So, I mean, is it likely that we have at the very least a scare at some point? I would put my money on yes. But hopefully, false positives aren't uh, um a huge issue in that way. Right, right. So I think that was like where my mind was going. And then, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting argument or like scenario. It's someone like Kawhi or someone like LeBron, game seven of like the NBA finals or game seven of the of any playoff series or whatever, and they get tested, they have it, 
but then they're asymptomatic. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, they're just like, I don't feel anything, but they yeah. like, I have it. So like they have to get quarantined and sit out. It would just be kind of like an unfortunate thing. Uh, but ha- like, how can that scenario not happen, especially with what's been happening all throughout the world in terms of just like, um, I, th- I think people just that are asymptomatic showing that they are positive for this. And like, I have been following the Bundesliga and you, it's, it's kind of interesting that you brought that up. Um, but it like, if a player does get it, it's pretty much like that, which I think kind of makes it a really interesting thing to ponder in terms of roster size. I believe that from what I was seeing on Twitter, there was, they're kind of deciding whether or not it should be like 17 yeah, they are spots, doing I believe. 17. Right. They're, doing, they're so, doing 17. Yeah. Right. Right. So I think that the increase in roster sizes makes it really interesting for uh, these GMs to kind of pick up different players um, for now. And then the future, I, I, I was listening to a podcast I believe it was the Ringer NBA show podcast. And they were talking about how like um, certain players um, got picked up from last season and how they're having an impact on this year and how that can kind of make it really interesting because if these teams can have 17 roster spots, doesn't that put them at an advantage over the teams that are not participating in this tournament? So like, let's say if – because, like, they were kind of making this argument that Miami was able to pick up Duncan Robinson and yep. uh, Kendrick Nunn last year um, on these, like, late-season contracts. Um, and if they're able to pick up those two valuable type of players that we've seen this year, like, it puts some of these playoff teams at an advantage that because of the increase in roster sizes. So, I it, it's there's just, like, so many – like we've got there's just like so many like different avenues and tunnels that we can kind of and rabbit holes that we can go down um in terms of like if we consider this this thing happens and then yeah. this thing it, it it gets kind of like mind boggling trying to think about all of the different scenarios that happen but like the the two questions like i believe at the end of the day they're going to get through it um, get mm-hmm. through the season just because of um, that policy that you kind of outlined in terms of they're going to just qual- uh, quarantine the individual unless there's like a whole team that get like let's say the starting like five out of the eight man rotation for the LA Clippers gets like taken out by COVID um, like it's just not feasible to have a have them compete in the playoffs. I I don't know what ends up happening and what Silver ends up doing there. But yeah. other um, than that happening, I think the season's going to finish and run through through October. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm slightly oh, just a quick note like and I'm not trying to come in and like be Mr. I know everything, but I just have listened to a couple. So I believe that if they do this 17 man roster spot thing, they'll extend it to the entire league. They're going to allow teams that aren't in this to continue to make transactions. 
Okay, that so makes that'll sense. hopefully yeah. balance the playing field in some ways because they still might want to convert their two-way guys and et cetera, et cetera. Like you said, it's right, kind right. of become an important, um, an important end of season developmental tool for some of these teams. Another interesting, like, couple things I just wanted to point out before we continue on the health uncertainty thing, because I kind of wanted to give my my theory on on that. Um, Two interesting points. One that, well, there are three things. The first is, like, at the end of the day, I don't think the expansion of the rosters will matter too, too much, because at the end of the day, it'll really only matter in the regular season games. Because by the time you get to the playoffs, like, you're tightening up the rotation of your best players anyway. I think it's really just for that stability of making sure teams, like you said, that there isn't this situation where five players get knocked out and you can't feel the team. You know what I mean? I I think that, which it is funny to consider that, that like you said, you can spit up viral out forever. And it's kind of like whack-a-mole where you knock down one thing and another pops up. Okay, that's great, but don't doesn't expanding the rosters probably increase like the probability of people getting it because you have more people and you're going to have more people interacting in team practices and stuff like that, whatever. But setting that aside, um, the other interesting thing, two interesting things, one is that um, – these guys, like, people, I forget what the eligibility rules are for these free agents, but I know that it includes, like, people like J.R. Smith, and um, there was someone else they mentioned. I forget who else they mentioned. But, like, a team could theoretically, like, sign J.R. Smith for this or, like, a decent free agent who's not in the league right now, which is which is kind of interesting to see if any team will go that route. And the other interesting thing that I heard about on a podcast today is, like, they, the NBA had to specifically say, like, you can't pick EuroLeague guys whose season just finished. Like, imagine that world, oh, like, wow. how fascinating – that you can't do this. But imagine right, right. how fascinating it would have been if, like, these teams, like, could, like, materially up – like, you know what I mean? The Blazers could sign, like, Nikola Miritich or whatever. Like, that would have been such a weird kind of, like, scenario. But I think, they're, I think they're trying to keep it as pure as possible. Um, yeah, but that turning would, back, that would have been super yeah, interesting. Yeah, that wow. would have been really wild. Um, but um, especially I think one of the other reasons was, like, it would favor – the problem with doing that is, like, it would favor teams with more cap space who, like, really had no reason of knowing it would have been beneficial. You know what I mean? Right, like, a right. team would have gone, like, well, we wouldn't have used our mid-level exception if we could have known, like – we were going to be able to pick up a really, really good European guy in the at the end of the season. Um, but but setting that aside, on the health thing, I have like a little bit more pessimism. For some reason, I feel like it's fifty fifty. For some reason, Ooh, okay. I, I I just really do because the thing about the Bundesliga and stuff like that. One, it should be pointed out. I'm going to sound like this is like the five minutes where I'm going to still sound like, why is this guy still worried about COVID? It's not like I'm, I'm super worried per se. It's more just like, I think there's more uncertainty than people realize. The thing about the Bundesliga one, it's taking place in a country where COVID is more under control than in the U S. And the second is like, I just think because of the and it's the only way they could do it i actually think like stuff like the bubble environment and all that like i actually think there's going to be more interaction 
than there was would have been in like than there is in the Bundesliga currently because players will be like hanging out together. They can go out to dinner and stuff. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that like although the indiv- like I think the possible and this is kind of like what I'm getting at. Also, I was about to say I think it'll either have the good thing quote-unquote, is, like, I don't think it'll be as much of a problem in the playoffs and stuff, although it should be mentioned that they're allowing families to come in at a certain point in the playoffs, which they're not going to do at the beginning, I think. But I think if it gets bad, it'll happen at the beginning when all 22 teams are there. I don't think it'll happen as you get later on, just because the amount of people will be getting whittled down less and less, and it'll be easier to spot with testing you know what i mean so i either think it gets bad before the playoffs to the point where it has to shut down or it's manageable by the time you get to the playoffs so so that was kind of my thought on that but i also wanted to point out as we're talking about the vectors of uncertainty here it's kind of interesting people like Woj have been starting to say oh i thought of another covid related thing i wanted to say I actually think the fact that they're not starting until late July ups the uncertainty to some extent because we don't know what's going to happen in the next few months. Like, if you look at the COVID numbers in America right now, like, we live in New Jersey where things are, like, a lot better than they were a month ago. You know what I mean? Like, I think New Jersey is having around 500 new cases a day, whereas it was having, like, 3,000, 4,000 a day, and we're going to start slowly of opening up like i think stuff like outdoor dining is set to kind of start I think back it's up and it's okay i knew it was yeah. going to be this it was this week um yeah, yeah. but on the other hand though in places like i'll just single out like arizona i was reading about last night for example some of these places that like weren't as bad you know places like new jersey washington and new york that got really bad also shut down harder whereas like a place like or like more rural states, they kind of never really fully shut down or opened up very early. So it's kind of like climbing up and up and up because like at a more gradual pace as opposed to New Jersey where we had kind of a huge spike and then dropped. So I'm a little bit, and obviously the protests and stuff like that, we don't know how that's going to affect transmission yet. But I'm afraid that like, starting it in July could lead them because part of the reason like on this theory I'm and I'm going to come to the end here in a second part of my rationale behind this theory of like it'll either get bad early or it'll be fine is like how many players are going to come in infected you know what I mean and I think the the varying levels of transmission throughout the country combines with two more months of uncertainty it's hard to really know and it's possible that it is that and that would kind of be the 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 doomsday scenario, so to speak. But one more thing, and then I'll turn it over to you to take it in whatever direction you want that I'm finding really interesting and may become a thing in the next couple of weeks. I believe there will be at least one legitimate rotation player, probably more, who doesn't go. And oh. I was reading about this. Uh, Woj was tweeting about it. The other day, he was talking about the fact that players can get their own independent medical, whatever, and that the NBA isn't going to stop players from playing. And, like, that players are having these conference calls about it. Because, like, it is – obviously the league has a vested interest in coming back. There's so much money at stake. But say you are just 
God, like, and, uh, God, this is such a rambling, incoherent monologue, but, I, but I'm but i just kind of all over the place. Carmelo Anthony said to TMZ the other day that <laughs> he was up in the air as to whether he wants to come back or not. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it means that he won't come back, as it were, but like I'm a player like Carmelo Anthony, who's like, I don't want to fucking be stuck in Walt Disney World for three months and do this for like eight regular season paychecks. Like, or some people might go like, ah, you know, I don't feel safe or what, you know what I mean? Like there are all these different concerns from, from the, the kind of lockdown, like measures they're going to be forced to be under to safety, to pay, to all these other things. I, I'm interested to see if it's kind of a novelty, one or two players, or if maybe things will come out in the next week or so where there's more uncertainty from the players than, than we think right now. Yeah. I, I mean, there there are three really good points that you all brought up, and it was it was pretty wide ranging. But I'm gonna try to respond the best that I can <laughs> while I try to recount what it is that you ended up saying. But I mean, just to even go off that Carmelo point, and I, I think they're reporting that like there are a handful of guys around the league that are very uncertain in terms of whether or not they want to risk their health for those eight regular season paychecks, especially if you're like the Washington Wizards, like, Mm -hmm. or like one of the, like Sacramento, Phoenix, like one of those teams, like, are they real, like, are some of those players really going to be willing to like kind of come out to Orlando for a cup, like at least a month or so because of the eight games um, to, you know, be away from their family for that long without having like any, you know, physical contact with their family and um, be willing to come out for eight paychecks, like you're saying, especially if you're a more established guy that doesn't really need the money. I'm, I wonder what the backlash is going to be from like NBA Twitter slash fans or whether or not like, people would be judgmental in terms of being like, especially if it's a more prominent guy in the, in the thick of a playoff run, like whether or not one of these guys will be like, uh, like whether they get backlash or not from like fans like us that are like saying um, he should just, you know, sack up and go type Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, I think that's like a really compelling thing. One of and then, like, another thing that I was, like, kind of thinking about is, like, if you're one of these players and you have a ton of money and all this stuff, like, how tempting is it going to be? Especially because, like, they're going to just be hanging out with their teammates that whole time, right? Like, they're not going to have, like, any of their guys there, no agents there, like, mm-hmm. no entourage or anything like that within that vicinity, like, within, like, the complex at all how tempting would it be? Like, I was just kind of like thinking of it in more of a funny way. Like which of these players is the most likely to just like, like sneak off, like in the middle of the night and kind of like go back, you know, hire, you know, fly a private jet somewhere uh, and then come back the next day. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, Yeah. Uh, Just to add to that. I don't know if you know this or not. The NBA said, like, if you leave and come back and they catch you, you have to quarantine for 
for I think a week, maybe two. So right. that that there is a like that I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, but they're they're trying to plan for that. And another thing is like people I know that like the emergence of all these protests and stuff like that have actually affected the way players have been talking about that apparently. They're like, Hey, we're like in the community. A lot of people, Damian Lillard, the war certain warriors, um Carl although he won't be there, whatever. People are like, hey, this is a time where it's actually important for us to be out in the community. And the fact that we're going to have to be confined to to one space is, like, not great for that. So I just wanted to add that. You can keep going. Yeah, especially, like, some of, you know, like, you mentioned uh, Dame and then, like, Jalen Brown, someone like that, <laughs> like, who's, like, super involved in this, uh, in the protests and being a part of this community and speaking to a lot of the issues that are going on in the country, like it's going to be really tough to kind of manage all of those, um, you know, all those different scenarios that end up coming about. Um, I I also heard like someone like Kyrie, who's not going to be back with the Nets, but like, is he going to be allowed to come back, come down to Orlando to cheer on his teammates in a suit? Like, you know what I mean? Or because, like, yeah. I think that'll be, like, an interesting scenario as well. A lot of these a lot of these health concerns, I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised that you're more pessimistic about this happening. But hearing your reasoning makes a lot of sense. And I think it gets to my point of, like, or question, I guess, next question of, were you kind of surprised that the NBA decided to start like basically two months from now? Like it's a month and a half from now, but like basically when they announced it, it was like two months out. Like, were you kind of surprised by that and how like far out that they were um, decided to actually start in at the end of July, essentially August? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where, and you brought this up too, um, I was surprised kind of until I really thought about the logistics of it, and they probably do need around that much time for a number of reasons. One, they need to physically just get everybody back. They a lot. Some I know international players have gone back abroad. They need to recall them. They need to... Um, they need to kind of get all the teams together. They need to get everyone to Orlando. I believe, and this is kind of another hopefully mitigating factor um, in terms of like in the check mark of like health and things going off successfully, they're going to kind of go to Orlando and mini camp and, and practice and hang out down there for a couple of weeks, which is useful for two reasons. One, I do think they needed at least, two weeks to get people back into playing shape. And that kind of tied back to something you talked about before in terms of quality of play. So I think even if you were like, we're going to start the games right away and we could do that somehow. um, Like, I think they would have needed at least two to three weeks for that anyway. But another reason for the health that I was going to talk about is like, if a player comes in and is infected, at least there's enough lag time where like can, kind of figure out who's who might be infected at the jump and give them two weeks of isolation before games actually start. Um, and the other thing, though, that I think is kind of – I heard uh, 
I mean, I was going to say multiple times I heard Zach Lowe say this. From the just logistical game operations standpoint, they need to figure out how to actually run all of these games, how to televise all of these games, what media is going to be there, what announcers are going to be there, what game operations people are going to be there. We're already hearing so much stuff about coaching. A lot of these coaches, Mike D'Antoni, Pop, et cetera, are older. You have to figure out what to do with them. Um, you have to figure – and just kind of like the day-to-day aspect of, of running a league like this, you know, I think they had to kind of end up giving themselves this much lag time to make sure they can kind of figure everything out. So do I think it's optimal? No, but I understand why they did it. Yeah, and I mean, there's two points that I uh, want to make, and then maybe we could kind of move on and talk about, like, the overall format and how happy you are about, like, yeah. uh, the way it's kind of gone. So I thought it, it's kind of interesting that you made that point earlier in terms of there. It's almost like a catch-22 of, like, having everyone play in one area just mm-hmm. because, like, if, if, like, no one's infected, then great because it's basically, like, quarantining with, like, a bunch of people, Right. But then if let's say if there's a couple guys that are infected and then the like the way the players are going to interact just amongst themselves, it's just going to be an easier way to trans like transmit the um, the disease just in terms of the way it works out because everyone's confined to that Disney World area. And I think maybe that's like the catch 22 and trying to have like the advantages of looking at the Bundesliga and the travel that's involved, because if you're, if one guy gets sick, let's say in Munich and you go some, you know, go to some other place in like, I don't know, Frankfurt or something, the distance is far enough that like you can leave that guy at home and not have a concern about whether or not there's being, there the disease is being transmitted whereas like if you're in these close proximities and close quarters then there's always that concern if like one guy has it it's just like so we know how it can be easily transmitted i actually don't even know how like i don't i don't even think health professionals really know especially with like uh who kind of like coming out and saying asymptomatic people can can't transmit it and then basically a day later they're saying they can transmit it so it's like i think even health professionals are even a little bit confused as to like how this is actually spreading and going around right now um but yeah i think that's like one really interesting point that you made and then the second point that i wanted to uh, make before we moved on was the idea about coaching and how that kind of intertwines with health and legal aspects that I found really fascinating and that I was kind of thinking through and thinking about was um, I I just find it fascinating that like a coach, uh, you know, like a lot of these older coaches like Popovich, like um, D'Antoni, like some, um, who's the uh, New Orleans coach. Um, Alvin Alvin Gentry, Gentry. Um, like those three guys are above 65 and this disease has really been affecting older, uh, the older population. And 
what I found really fascinating, I was, re I think it was an ESPN article and they were kind of talking about um, some of like the equal employment opportunity type of like stuff that ends up going on with this in terms of whether or not you can actually like bar these three coaches because they're older than the age of 65 from coaching on the sidelines yeah. and whether or not that is going to be impl whether or not they're you know implicating something like uh you know the equal opportunity equal yeah. employment opportunity type of stuff Kev, I that actually wanted to oh yeah keep going keep going sorry no no that's that. happening but yeah go ahead I, I wanted to jump in there. because there was actually a, a tweet from Woj today and not to I'm happy that I was right in my thinking because I thought about this myself and having taken employment law there's a there's a law, a federal law called the ADEA that's like prevents you from taking certain, um, prevents you from taking basically adverse employment actions against people solely based on their age. And here's a tweet from Woj from today, June 10th, the yesterday then, legal experts consulted by ESPN, including a top attorney in the Miami office of the EEOC, agreed unanimously that the NBA could not exclude any personnel from per participating in Atlanta, Orlando solely on the basis of age. So it'll be really interesting to see how they deal with that. There's an, uh, uh, a tweet after that saying basically the NBA is going to allow any personnel, you know, regardless age, whatever, to kind of go to a doctor and they'll tell them about their risk profile. But like, Jesus, when you think about worst case scenarios, like one of these older coaches, like at the end of the day, if you can't prevent them from being out there and coaching, you know what I mean? And it kind of emphasizes as we were, as I think, like, as we kind of start to wrap this point up, like, kind of I think what we keep hitting on over and over like and I thought you put it well talking about medical experts like they're going to try and obviously do it the safest way they can and I'm sure some people when we were talking about like players interacting and stuff were like all right I'm sure the NBA had enough money to figure out how to properly separate people and I'm especially if they are sick um, and, and I believe that. But at the end of the day, there is no bulletproof way to do this. And as medical experts, I'm sure, are advising them on this. But the only way to truly prevent something like, you know, something bad happening would be to not do it at all. So at the end of the day, it's kind of a, a balancing act. And as the consumer and as the podcaster and whatever, you kind of need to be at ease with that to some extent, because at the end of the day, do we want them to come back or not? You know what I mean? Yeah. That, I mean, totally valid points that you're making. And it, it, it's just kind of like this balancing act, trying to figure out what's the best for obviously trying to bring basketball back in amidst all the uh, stuff and the climate that's going on right now. Um, so let's talk about the format, Andrew, because I, I found like the way they like, I know in our private conversations that we're having and texting back and forth, we were very, we really wanted something innovative and something really unique uh, because this is just obviously a weird season. And me and you were kind of pushing for something like, you know, like the, like the world's cup type of yeah. format, um, something super innovative that, 
you know, you can't really do for a normal season. Um, but they ended up settling on the eight games. Plus, like, um, there is one wrinkle that is kind of introducing a lot of the talks that Adam Silver has, you know, just talked about prior to all of this even happening in terms of a play-in um, game for the eighth seed if um, the eighth and ninth seeded teams are within four games of each other. Um, so I think that is like a good way to kind of keep true to the playoff structure while introducing this one wrinkle, um, one wrinkle to like uh, spice it up for this uh, unique season. What are your thought, general thoughts on just um, the way the playoffs were structured, the playing game, um, and just in general, what you wanted to see with the format. Yeah, um, I as you said, like I definitely was on the side of like just let's go and do something weird. Um, not necessarily like super weird. Like I didn't need them to go like March Madness style or something like that. But I was kind of just in the idea of like you know, where it's weird anyway, so why not try something different? Like you said, I was really into the idea. I thought that would have been super interesting to see mm-hmm. and kind of the dynamics of all that. Um, but at the end of the day, from everything I kind of read and listen to, I think there were basically three considerations. I think one of them is the amount of games we're actually going to play plus the amount of money they're going to be able to make. And I think that's um, at the end of the day why you saw 22 teams come back, even though 20 seem to make so much more logical sense. Um, yep. Because I think they care at the end of the day about the fact that those extra two teams times eight games, you know, exponentially extrapolated, like will just get them that much closer to fulfilling these TV contracts. So I think that's one thing that came into play. I think the second thing is is making teams happy. And at the end of the day, as much as me as a Blazer fan, especially these more intricate scenarios that would have introduced more variance, um, I think at the end of the day, a lot of the kind of establish the the perennial contenders of the world, your Lakers, your Bucks, your Clippers, don't want those kind of formats. And at the end of the day, the NBA has a vested interest in making sure the big market slash big wattage superstar teams actually make it far in the playoffs and that the you know, when it comes time for the finals and, and those marquee series that you have the right the right teams in those spots. And I think the last notion is kind of this, like, somewhat, you know, the NBA is a progressive league for sure. But at the end of the day, they do have some traditionalist conservative aspects. And the thing I kind of keep hearing over and over is that the NBA is very, as much as people like Adam Silver are willing to experiment and throw these ideas out there, I think once it gets put to the owners, um, there's a lot more backlash to what doing a thing once might bode for the future. And I think they were kind of afraid of opening Pandora's box in some of these scenarios that, like, once you go wild, you're never going to be able to go back, which I think is a bit silly, but but I understand why it was a consideration. Um, 
I forgot what I was going to say to close that out. So, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that I think at the end of the day, like you were saying, it's it. I think it, one of the best parts of the way the structures out is kind of like it's beneficial to the league in terms of trying to make enough money to kind to mitigate this whole thing and this whole thing happening um just from a team perspective from an ownership perspective it allows the league to make back some of the money that they've lost out on um and it's just i i think in terms of fairness um with the playoffs i think this was the best way um to kind of incentivize the teams that aren't in the playoffs to really go for it um, while also allowing the teams that are guaranteed playoff spots to feel comfortable enough to ease their way back in and know that they ha- they that it's going to be a normal playoff structure, um, not like a best of best of five game series or best of three type of thing, where it would have been a little bit more uh, where the variance would have gone up for a lot of these teams. Yep. Kevin, I thought of two things. I thought of one thing I wanted to say, but I wanted to point out on the money-making aspect, and I'm sure there are people listening who are like, God, this guy is the biggest scaredy cat, conspiracy man of all time. But remember, we don't know what the start of next season is going to look like, and maybe we can come back to this at the end in terms of, like, the start date for next season. But it's possible that some of the – that the 2020. 2021 NBA season is played on a condensed schedule. That seems like fairly certain to happen. We don't know how much of it's going to be played in front of fans. It is Mm. not a given that the majority of the NBA season will be played with fans next year. I know people don't want to hear that, but it's it's definitely possible, especially if jurisdictionally things vary. Um, So I wanted to just that to your money point because I think that is a suit like to the average fan as it were that's like kind of the thing people probably need to kind of wrap their heads around the most I did want to real quick and then and then we can uh, you know I don't know where you wanted to go but I wanted to just mention with the play-in game I am a little bit disappointed in how that happened and once again this may have to do with me being a Blazer fan who is um who is going to hopefully have their team be the ninth seed. I don't really love how they did it. So I don't know if you mentioned it, but like it's basically like a double elimination kind of format where like the Grizzlies who are currently the eighth seed, for example, if they're the eighth seed and Portland's the ninth seed, the Memphis has to win one and Portland has to win two in a row. And I just don't like. I don't. I don't think the eighth seed deserves that much of an advantage in in that scenario. I would have liked to see. I would have liked to either see them open it up and maybe do something with more than two teams, like Zach Lowe uh, had a kind of an idea where like you would kind of have teams fight for these two eighth seeds regardless of conference. So like you would have an opportunity for like maybe like Memphis and. Portland make it or, you know, the Nets and whoever else or whatever. But um, I don't think the A's deserves that much of an advantage, especially when you consider that teams had varying strengths of schedules remaining. 
Memphis, for example, had a really, really difficult schedule. And although they'll still have a hard schedule because they're playing, you know, the next eight games on their schedule, so to speak, the kind of median difficulty gets more even for everyone because the only teams left are quote unquote good teams. So, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 I thought I wasn't really a huge fan of that. Although I think it's interesting. I wasn't a huge fan of that wrinkle, but just in terms of seeding and stuff, I just wanted to point out these games are going to matter for a lot of teams. Like the middle of the East is very up for grabs. Uh, the West, there's still some seeding implications to be done. So I think we're not, the good thing is we will see teams with stuff to play for. And that, should be fun as kind of the regular season comes to a close. Yeah. And I think, you know, like in response to kind of the, the uh, eight seed playing game type of thing, I think they, it would have been interesting if they kind of opened it, opened up both conferences for the eight seed or even just kind of doing the double elimination where they have like nine and 10 play. And then, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the winner of that plays the eighth seed yeah. in a one-off, which would have been a lot more fun, uh, kind of like getting more teams involved, you know, being able to see it in that way. Uh, I thought that could have been interesting, but they decided on this, and I think they're trying to wrap their heads on trying to make it as simplistic and as familiar as possible without going too crazy, just so it's somewhat familiar to – uh, the fans of the game. Um, and, and I want yeah. to really quick say and ask you, do you think, do you think that they also want, or it's possible that kind of forces like your LeBrons and your Giannis's, if they win a championship, they want it to be seen as legitimate. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. in such a top heavy of a, although you do make a good point that the format could lend itself to be more, to be more, um, to be more wide open. I do think the league is as top heavy in the sense that like its biggest superstars are on the best teams as it's ever been. So, um, you know, I think that's a possibility as well. I just wanted to throw that in before we left that topic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the familiarity of like the playoffs in terms of it just being pretty straight up of like past the playing games, like the first round, you know, conference semifinals the conference finals the finals are all best of seven game series and like once we're in the first round of the playoffs it's gonna be like the normal playoffs it's not gonna be minus different than that minus one thing that i wanted to ask you about because we haven't talked about i think i know where you're going lack of home court advantage yeah you think that matters do you and what did you make of some of these ideas of like trying to compensate for that in some way what what are kind of your your gut reactions to both of those things I think it matters I I definitely think it matters like if you just kind of look at some of the the home home road splits for some of these teams like obviously the better teams are you know more even in terms of their home and away but like I'm looking at Miami's home court advantage they were 27 and 5 at home this year and on the road they're 14 and 19. So like let's say if they were at home um you know four seed current they're currently the four seed they would be playing the Bucks 
they wouldn't have home court advantage against the Bucks, but it would make it a little bit more interesting. And I think even the playing field um, in that way. And it, I, I just think like, obviously, you know, having the fans involved in a game like that can turn a series around. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm giving, maybe I'm giving home court advantage a little bit more credit than it deserves. And, and it's like a compelling, I, I think it's really compelling to watch how this plays out and see, sees like whether or not home court actually matters or not. So I agree. I agree with you a lot of what you were saying, but I thought Nate Duncan made a really good point where he basically said he thought the effects would be a wash. And, and I thought his rationale was very compelling. So I want to lay it out for you. Here. Basically the, what the person who loses home court, what the main advantage they lose is a game seven, which I think is true. That's kind of where I really do feel like home court advantage is, is huge. And I think the home team wins game seven, something close to like 70% of the time. So I think if you get to a game seven, the lack of home court advantage definitely matters. But he made a great point to kind of, and he wasn't arguing that home court advantage doesn't matter, just that like he thinks it'll be a net wash in this scenario. Because what the home team, what the higher seeded team loses, and you started to point this out as well, what the higher seeded team loses in a game seven, the lower seeded team loses in that um, experience, in that um, in that situation where you go down two zero, but you're like, are you always hear this? I'm sure you'll appreciate this. Like they'll be interviewing, you know, Damian Lillard or whatever, and you just lost your first two games to the Warriors, and he's like, they did what we they were supposed to do, and now we have to do what we were <laughs> yep. supposed to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not going to have that feeling in a series where it's being played on a neutral floor because it's like, all right, it's the Lakers against, you know, the Blazers. The Lakers are up 2-0. Fuck. You know what I mean? You just don't have that, like, but at least we're coming home kind of thing to mentally turn the tide as it were so i i think those two areas are where you will see a difference but do will i do i think it will affect the outcome of series i i doubt it but it'll be interesting to see yeah i think that that was definitely one of the points that i wanted to bring up and talk about because like they i think people make home court advantage such a big deal um Mm -hmm. a lot of times throughout any you know sports um playoff event whether it be basketball or baseball or football like you know a lot of a lot of people make a huge deal about it and i think this is one of those uh times that it's going to it's going to illustrate whether or not that actually matters i think and then Mm -hmm. also like is it just purely the talent that's going to determine a lot of these things on the floor Um, with obviously a bunch of other variables um, with like how COVID might play out. Um, One of the things that I did kind of want to touch on was, and we did allude to it a little bit was the start of next season and the way the rest of the schedule is laid out. So in terms of what the NBA draft is going to be like post, uh, so the draft lottery is happening happening August 25th um, during the during that during the season. 
And then lottery records are frozen through March 11th if there's any movement. So, mm-hmm. like, what, if one of these teams just, like, kind of decided to tank or whatever, they're not going to be getting any better yeah. position or than like the, Wizards. the teams that are out. Yeah, yeah, like the Wizards, if they go 0-8, which they very well might, they're not going to benefit from having been there while, you know, Detroit or whoever had to stay home. Right, right. So that's that's the example there. Um, and then the NBA draft happens October 15th, um, which is going to be three days at post, like, game seven of the finals, which is, you know, kind of on par with what ends up happening. Usually about – I think you get, like, a week or two after the NBA finals uh, before the draft happens. I wonder if there's any – we were there and then also like there's also so many implications with like free agency and whether the changing uh with like the weird season that ended up happening um whether the cap is affected because of a lack of money that was brought in and made uh it can it's probably going to have a huge effect on what teams are going to be able to spend cap wise next year um which i think is going to be something that's you know we we can't all we would be doing right now is just kind of like mm-hmm. speculating yeah. obviously but and we could probably talk about it in a later podcast but I, I think those are like a couple points to think about for some listeners like don't be shocked if some of these guys that are on the market don't get paid like a ton of money um because the cap situation's really messed up. And then you also alluded to the start of next season, which is going to be December 1st tentatively, depending on what ends up happening here, um, if nothing else changes, and a condensed season for next season. And I could totally see them playing something like 65, 70 games next year in a, in a condensed season, kind of like, what was that lockout year, 2010, 2011, I believe? I I think it was one of those years. Yeah, I think they played – did they play 53 that season? Yeah, I think it was some – I think it was like 60-ish games, something like that. It was around that total. Um, Yeah, 66, you're right on. Yeah, 66. So, I I totally think a condensed season like that is going to happen. And and one of the points that I heard on a pod – um, I think it was the Ringer podcast again, the NBA Ringer uh, podcast. Uh, one of the things that I found fascinating as to why they would play a condensed season is, and why they don't want to like go into the summer to kind of experiment and see how the ratings are going to look again, going up against baseball um, throughout the summer is because one point that I heard was, a lot of NBA players don't want to give up their summers yeah. um, because they want to spend time with their family and spend time with like, their kids when, when school is out. And then also a huge tournament's happening next, next summer, the Olympics got postponed. Yeah. So the Olympics will be happening next summer. Um, so they don't want to brush up against that. So there's an incentive to finish um in June of 2021 for next season so that they're on track and on time for the 2021-2022 season. Yeah, I wanted to make a couple. I just wanted to add a couple things to that. I think you're absolutely uh, – you, but most of what you said, including the Olympics and all that, is is on point. 
um, that they don't want to they either they might want to send the players over there or they might want to not compete with the Olympics. But a thing just that I thought got brought up uh, that's true, and it would be inter- if you don't condense the season next year, it's kind of hard to go back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So at that point, you're basically uh, you until you condense the season, you're starting your your season in December every year. And while I don't think that's the worst, I kind of wouldn't mind that. And I know there's some NBA owners who like the idea of the season starting around Christmas. So as not to go up against football as much um, in the early going, you like I said, you can't unring that. And and again, the point: if you're going to be possibly playing with less less in front of fans and and the like, you'd rather take your medicine next season as opposed to in twenty. You know when you'll be full strength, quote unquote, for twenty one, twenty two. So I think that factors into it too. And another thing you pointed out, like you said, don't have to go too deep into it now. I think it's very possible that we're getting our lawyer hats on after the season ends as kind of the players and the NBA sit down to hash out a modified collective bargaining agreement. Because the thing to to note is like, okay, now everyone kind of has the same interests to some extent, like, you know, most of the players probably want to come back and play the league, obviously want them to play, and they all want to make as much money as possible. But when next year the shit hits the fan and the financial realities start to set in, you know, there's going to be a little bit more of an adversarial relationship. So I think that kind of will be a very interesting and possibly fraught period in that condensed off season. Yeah, I, I would just kind of like, you know, hearken that point in terms of a lot of the players that are going to become free agents this year are not going to be happy with the the offers and mm-hmm. the decrease in offers and essentially the the decrease in pay that they're going to be getting. And now, you know, someone like Michelle Roberts and uh, NBA Players Associate, they're going to have to really uh, kind of really figure out what's going to be crucial um, for them and how they're going to be able to make, uh, I don't know, these things happen. So I think in terms of just like whether or not like the NBA and the players are going to have this modified agreement for maybe next year only where they can kind of spend outside the cap, depending on what the owners decide. I don't really know what the fix is there, but you know, I, I think it it could be really interesting kind of thinking about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and if, like you said, there's going to be tons to – there's going to be tons to kind of talk about as time goes on. And I think the off season will be really interesting in that respect as, and and in terms of kind of how this reality hits, hits the free agent crop, which wasn't that great to begin with. And right, that right. also raises an interesting question of like, as we were talking about who's likely to sit out, if you're a pending free agent, like on a marginal team, who had kind of built up good stock, especially considering that there's not going to be as much money to go around, do you want to risk coming back and playing in eight meaning, meaningless games that possibly lower your free agent stock? But whatever. Anyway. We can spin out like this forever. Um, as we kind of start to wrap up here, I wanted to kind of throw it back 
I mean, we spent a lot of time talking logistically, and I think that's a reasonable discussion to be having because so much of the conversation right now is logistical. But I did want to ask you, like, the -the on-the-court things, teams, players, maybe single out a couple things that, that, that come to mind for you when you start thinking about actual basketball being played. Yeah. I, it's really hard to say at this point what's obviously we're just kind of like throwing dark and you know like I was just thinking about this before we got on our podcast but our wins pool is kind of like out the door isn't it because of all this <laughs> happening like yeah not none of that's like and, and like even just like we were just talking about like this season's the cre probably the craziest NBA season just the way it started yeah with what ended up happening um, with China, Kobe, this stuff, like, like, there's just not, there's just so many, like, I guess, emotional hills and valleys that ended up happening during this NBA season um, that it's really hard to kind of, like, get your mind around all the stuff that's happening on the court. But I guess, like... (laughs) This is basically, we're basically, I mean, I feel like we can do another podcast once it gets closer to the start of part two of this season, where it's like the NBA preview play, like playoff type thing. Um, But my, I I guess like an early thing is some of the things that I wanted to report in terms of guys that are out, Kyrie, KD, there was speculation as to, oh, maybe the Nets will be like an interesting, you know, obviously as a Nets fan, I was excited because there's possible with the delay in the season, there's a possibility that they can maybe make a comeback and they've both ruled that out. So that's not happening. The, the, you know, Vegas was thinking along the same lines and had, uh, the Nets as like the second highest odds for winning the title behind the Lakers, I believe, for a bit before they announced that KD and Kyrie were done. Um, and then Bogdanovich um, on the Jazz, he's out for the, uh, he's out for the season. He hurt his wrist, got a wrist uh, wrist surgery. And then Lamarcus Aldridge hurt his shoulder, got shoulder surgery. Uh, I don't think a lot of people knew that was going to happen, but. Um, that ended up happening. It looks like the Spurs, like, I believe 22 season playoff streak is going to come to an end here. Mm. But just like on the court stuff, like, is it, is it like, is there any change in terms of like who you think is going to be in the finals and anything like that because of this off season and who you think this, this like extended break benefited the most? Well, I mean, in terms of who's benefited the most, you have to look at teams with players who are hurt. Um, ben Simmons is a player that immediately comes to mind. I'm trying to think of anyone else. I mean, you have to mention Portland, especially in that eighth seed race, um, because Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins will be playing. Um, and that's a huge, huge boon for them. Of course, you don't, unfortunately, you don't really get the runtime of, like, being able to, if you want to be careful with them, which I'm sure you can, how much can they contribute to this kind of condensed period where winning basketball is extremely important? I'm not so sure. But but in terms of just, like, the pluses, you have to benefit. You have to, you have to look at them. 
Um, I'm trying to think of anyone else major injured players coming to mind. Um, there's one more that gets mentioned, but but I'm forgetting. Maybe I'll maybe I'll think of it uh, later on. The other thing is kind of like the other player I think a lot about is Zion, even though he's not hurt, so to speak. How he looks coming back, another one of these guys where you're not sure what shape he's going to be in is kind of, is kind of um, an interesting question. And the other thing is, like, he had been playing these limited minutes. Do, do they continue that given this kind of every game matters format they're going to be in uh, is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, and then the last thing is, like, uh, and although there weren't a lot, I, and I can't think of that many off the top of my head, trade deadline guys never really got a chance to fully feed in, like Marcus Morris on the Lakers, um, you know, and I think some of that stuff will be interesting to look at as well. But in terms of the overall picture, no, I, I don't feel any differently than I did and I feel like we never, like, did a full – and that's why I think you raise a good point that, like, NBA Preview 2 will probably have to happen at some point because I do think we need to do a deeper dive and kind of assess where things stand. But I, I don't foresee things being shaken up in any sort of major way. Although, would it surprise me if it happened? I guess not. Yeah, it's – I mean, especially with this season that's happening, like – why can't Miami make a run, like, in the East? Like, like I think the East race, like, especially the top five, or, like, I want to include Philly in there, Philly, Miami, Boston, Toronto, the Bucks. Like, like I, it's, I don't – I know Giannis has been amazing pre all this stuff happening, but in the playoffs, like, I still, you still don't really know. And I don't know if you can like completely trust them yet. And like Toronto has been surprisingly good without Kawhi. Boston was ascending, especially with Tatum's emergence. Um, and then you mentioned Simmons in terms of like um, what Philly would get from, from Simmons being healthy again. I think that those things can be super compelling. And you, I, I believe you had, you had the didn't you have the Sixers making it? Yeah, I don't feel great about that. I don't yeah. feel great about that right now. Um, honestly, I probably like the Raptors a little bit better than the than the uh, Sixers at this point. But uh, that's a story for another day. Yeah, I do want to kind of throw ask this one kind of fun question to you. Okay. Not, it's it's not. It's just like what. What's the record? What do you think the record of the Sixers at home uh, record is? They played 31 games at okay, home. Okay, that's year. what I was going to ask you to say. I'm guessing it's something bad. I'm going to say 21. Wait, how much did you say it was? 31? 30, 31 games. I think they've won three more games than they've lost at home. They're 29 and 2 at home. Jesus! Right. Oh my God, I thought it was going to be bad. No, twenty nine and two. I, I was just looking at that, and that's ridiculous. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, so they must have I just really struggled on the road. Yeah, ten and twenty four on the road. Yeah, uh, they're not go. not good at all. So Jesus. yeah, I sound it's, stupid. You you need to go and back and cut that out. And Chris <laughs> Morris is on the Clippers, not the Lakers. That was bothering yeah. me too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
So, no, I, th- I think it's going to be really fascinating just to see. I, I still like the Clippers in the West. Uh, I don't know if, how you feel about that. Um, Lakers. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know at this point. I, I need to kind of we need recalibrate, to, I think. Right. We need to do a recalibration deeper dive. Uh, we'll probably do part two. Uh, and we never talked about, like, awards or anything either. You know what no, I mean? I, I how these – how these eight games, if voters they will kind of factor them in, will be? Yeah. Do they kind of just discount them and go with what happened before the season was suspended, or is it possible that you know LeBron goes on a tear and and wins MVP or you know whatever? Yeah, it seems like it's Giannis is to lose at this point, especially mm-hmm. with some of the things that people have been talking about. But yeah, we probably need to get all of that wrapped up like later on, probably closer uh, to that start date, maybe two weeks out to that start start date um, of the season. So Andrew, um, before we close out the podcast, uh, obviously we alluded to it throughout the podcast and in the, at the top of the pod, uh, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, other than the NBA and sports returning, which we are incredibly happy about. Um, Premier League's returning in next week, I believe. So there's just like a lot of excitement in terms of what's going on in the sports world in terms of, yes, sports are back. But there's also like, amidst all this COVID stuff, since we've last talked, um, there have been a lot of protests that have happened throughout the country and throughout the world, actually, um, in response to what happened uh, to George Floyd on May 25th, I believe. And it's it's kind of incredible. It, like, we could take this multitude of different ways. Um, and maybe the um, implications that it's had throughout the world and throughout different parts of the country. Um, but one of the things that I did want to say was, like it's been incredibly, I think for me, just inspiring to see, um, like NBA players, especially like um, we kind of mentioned Jalen Brown, um, someone like LeBron, a lot of these guys that are using their voice to voice their opinions on um, these like social issues. A lot of people will say, but like a lot of human human issues um, that are really affecting their communities. Um, and I think it's really interesting to kind of watch what's happening and what's going on in the world. Are, do you have any, I don't know, response or something that eloquent that you could say? And maybe I'm putting you on the spot <laughs> a little bit, um, but is there anything that you kind of wanted to say alluding to a lot of this stuff? That's no, I thought, hey, man, I actually wanted to say to you, I agree. I think the NBA is the best is, is the best league in the world. And I agree, especially in those – it's on balance, I think, in the last week or so, things have turned more towards kind of the inspiring. And, and I definitely agree. And, you know, the, the whole thing is – I mean, what George Floyd's – murder to to put it bluntly uh is is chilling and you know the the kind of what happened afterwards is is too 
there's too much to talk about to sum it up eloquently. And it should be pointed out that I am a white man. You know, you are a non-black minority, but neither of us are black. And it, I feel uncomfortable with trying to speak on things in any sort of kind of uh, conclusive way, given my white privilege. Although anyone who knows me knows I'm pretty passionate about kind of like social justice type type issues and, and my, my stance on those things is pretty strong. But I wanted to point out to you, especially in those early kind of days where things were a little bit more turbulent and there was kind of the early days of Minneapolis, as it were, it makes me feel so damn good when I see an NBA player being political or an NBA player being being on the front line of a protest or or speaking about social justice issues or speaking about institutional racism um that it just like i it makes me feel really really good and for for all the reasons you mentioned and just for the fact that it combines two things i'm i'm very passionate about and the, the fact of the matter is you have to contrast that with the nfl Although we've now started to see things like Roger Goodell say Black Lives Matter, which is all well and good. Um, you, I, I'm sorry to, to put it like as strongly as this, but you can never forget the, the blackballing of Colin Kaepernick. That's one of the most, we're going to look back at that. Colin Kaepernick is a hero, and that was one of the most shameful things. You know, the, the history just already, I'm, it's interesting to hear, honestly, and I don't know how you feel about this, Kevin, but some of my more moderate kind of apolitical friends react to stuff like this. And I'm hearing a lot of people, not people who were like super conservative or who I would deem as racist in any way, people who might have even been in support of what Colin Kaepernick was doing in the NFL, but like, a lot. I'm hearing a lot of people say like, "Oh, I really get it now," and I think that is is a nice thing on balance, even if it can never erase kind of like the fundamental injustice of what I believe and I I think is fairly clear what happened there. But anyway, um, especially given all of that, seeing NBA players on the front lines of of this kind of fight that's emerging and a fight for for good that um that i think hopefully will have some staying power here is is nice yeah and i mean i think even you know you're kind of contrasting the nba to the nfl and just some of the the things that were coming out like drew Brees kind of you know made a statement and then had to make an apology and then made you know, turned it around a little bit in terms of educating himself about what it is that he needed to do. Jake Fromm, uh, the Buffalo Bills quarterback, that was oh yeah, that was also that was big yikes, big yikes as well. Um, and then I I don't know if you saw this, but the NFL pledged basically two hundred fifty million dollars to combating systemic race racism and social justice. Um, over the over the next ten years, so I mean that's all well and good, Kevin. I just have to yeah. break in for a second, and I'm not like doing this to like stir the pot or anything. I great corporations give money to those causes. I mean the the real model here is the the Reddit founder. What's his name? Ohanian Alex. Well, I forget what his last name is. Mm-hmm. Stepping down from the board and pledging the profits for the rest of his life to 
black uh, to the furtherance of kind of black causes. But but that aside, my my question is, donate money, talk the talk. That's all well and good. But what are your owners going to do when players start start kneeling again? Are they going to is is the is is are the right words going to trickle down to that? I think that's a question that that still has to be answered, and and I I don't know what the answer will be. Like I said, I think public sentiment amongst obviously there's going to be a group of people who never quote unquote get it. Um, but I do wonder if now the kind of moderate sentiment will have turned where it's not as much of an issue. But um, yeah. Sorry, no, I no. just had to mention that. Yeah, and I think you kind of like uh, were you were you basically went where I was going to go in terms of like it is all well and good in terms of you know committing that amount of money to to battling this um, battling systemic racism, but I mean at the end of the day, it's kind of like you know you look at what Kaepernick was doing you know three years ago, four years ago. And it's almost like, oh man, like if they could have, if, if the owners during that time, or if the league during that time, you know, really rallied around someone like that, then it, they could have been, you know, the NFL could have been one of the, the bigger, big corporations that were on the forefront of this issue. And I, I think it's almost like they're, they look back on it and, there, it's not like this erases everything that they did because they they haven't supported uh, their players in you know forever regarding this issue. Um, but it's at least nice to kind of see some type of contrition in some ways. Oh no, um, definitely. And being able to and being able to realize that this has become an issue, but like you were saying, it definitely doesn't ease any of the, you know, mistreatments that ended up happening to someone like Colin Kaepernick, who honestly, when you look, when you look back at all this, like that, him kind of, you know, people were, would want to point to him not understanding the complexities of every issue that ended up happening when people talk about, um, his statements about voting and things like that, that he kind of alluded to in the past. But the fact that he ended up making a stand during that point in time when it wasn't popular and it wasn't on the, in people's like public on the public's consciousness during that time, it, it makes it really, it makes, makes him somewhat of an inspirational figure even more so than he already was. No, I, I definitely agree. And I think you summed it up well, uh, and I shouldn't even be continuing to talk, but um, I, I think the, the point you're, you're getting to that I thought was important to hammer home is, is true. And once, you know, it's up to people beyond, who aren't me and don't have my, my privilege and my point of view to decide what the kind of net balance of things like the NFL getting on board. And cause the, the thing I was going to say is like what we're seeing right now and you know, only time will tell. It kind of reminds me of like when the tide turned for gay marriage in a way 
where like all of a sudden it seems like everyone's on board and you're seeing all, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of unfathomable. We are at an interesting age where like you're a little bit older than me, but I remember, um, I remember, and once again, this isn't to big up myself in any way. I remember being, I think, 19 or 20 and going home on a train from Maryland, like for a break and uh, Ferguson, what was going on in Ferguson was, was happening. And I remember how my peers, how people were talking about that and how that was reacted to and kind of like who was on the front lines of those things. I mean, once again, I'm only quoting uh, uh, black commentators and writers to say that like there, there were almost solely black faces involved in those protests. And Mm -hmm. the idea of a corporate, the idea of gushers saying black lives matter or whatever seemed fairly radical. And now we're at the point where it seems to be approaching mainstream, you know what I mean? Approaching, approaching the popular sentiment. And of course, with those things come the kind of co-opting of and watering down of, of things that me and you, I know have talked about being kind of nervous about and, you know, it's important to make sure that the right voices and the right people and the right, you know, and the, and the right viewpoints are centered um, in everything. Ironically, me talking about this probably goes against it, but I guess the point I was making is like, you kind of, that you said you have to kind of counterbalance those, the good that comes from these things becoming mainstream or I don't know what the right word is, but while never forgetting the people who were truly radical and truly put it on the line, you know? Right. Just looking at it with the lens of just like, oh, wow, look at, look at someone like Colin Kaepernick and what he was doing. So, yeah, I mean, this was something that obviously that I wanted to touch upon and how it's affected like, um, you know, the sports world and how the sports world has kind of reacted in response to this as well. And our beloved Bon Appetit, like we're not getting any any videos from them because of just some of the fallout that they've been dealing with as well in response to a lot of like the stuff that's been come, coming out about, you know, people of color not being equally compensated within that uh, company in that space of work. And I think even just seeing and hearing about that example kind of illuminates that there are big companies out there that are participating in in this manner. And it just kind of like it to me, it just was like, oh, that's still there. That's no. still out there, and Kev, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I'm sorry, I talked so much. Keep going. I, no, I no. just, I That's... think you're so right because I wanted to point out. I actually wanted to say what I think you were really starting to say because mm-hmm. you know when I talk about Colin Kaepernick or whatever, I'm afraid that people think maybe I'm sounding sanctimonious or like, you know, me thinking I being on my high horse or whatever. And the Bon Appetit thing was really interesting. I mean, God, now I don't want to say it while being like centering me in my own, you know, thing of like, wow, I didn't know that like even racism could exist, that bone appetite. Like, I don't think that's true, but especially as a white guy, like, and I think a nice, 
or a good thing about this moment. It kind of reminds me of me too, in some ways is like everything is being examined. And, and I completely agree with you, Kevin, where it's like, we have to, our, I'll just speak for myself. I have to, I think I have to do a better job of realizing how deeply embedded all this stuff is. And that like the point you were making about like these corporations or these places of work that, you know, the norm is that it is in this, at these places, you know what I mean? And the norm is that it is in the things we're involved in. You know what I mean? I have to look at my profession. I have to look at the law and be constantly examining where the structural inequalities in, in that and, you know, I, and in every facet of my life. And as silly as it sounds like, you know, I was super bummed out to learn that this thing that given me a lot of, a lot of joy could kind of be infected with this, this kind of toxic racially based uh, systematic discrimination. Um, it's important to, I don't know, it's important, I guess, be on the lookout for it and do whatever, whatever I can to, to notice it and root it out, you know? Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that is really for me as someone, I think, you know, I wouldn't say I'm neither left or right or, you know, liberal or conservative. I'm fairly in the middle when it comes to like politics and comes to viewpoints and things like that. And I tend to take things in a more balanced approach and approach it with like, I wouldn't say pessimism, but more just a with like a pra like more of a pragmatic approach in, mm -hmm. in ways. And I think one one of the things that it's kind of illuminating to me is being able to realize that having a voice matters um, and being able to realize that standing up for things that you feel what you believe in and what you feel strongly about really has an impact um no matter how big or how small um you perceive your voice to be so i i think the, those are like the things that i've kind of been taking away from that and also being able to to highlight different people that might not have a voice to be able to be able to raise them up and help be a part of that solution has kind of been some of the takeaways and some of the thoughts that I've been thinking about with conversations with friends and different people around me. So, I, I mean, you know, I'm really interested to see where this ends up like taking us and where this ends up going um, just in general, in terms of hopefully this is something that doesn't just stop in the next month or so, but it becomes a lifelong type of commitment for a lot of people, including me, um, to really, you know, lift people up and really highlight the voices that haven't been highlighted, highlighted in the past. Couldn't have said it better myself, man. Agreed. Yeah. So, Andrew, thanks again for coming on. Always appreciate your insight into the NBA. Um, I'm excited extremely excited for it to be back finally i wish it was like in a couple weeks but we still have a month and a half left before it gets going here so we'll probably definitely do 
uh, another podcast where where we focus more on some of the on court stuff um, in terms of the gameplay and some of the teams and players that we might look out for before this all gets going, maybe in a month or so. So, Andrew, thanks again for coming back onto the pod. Always fun, man. Thanks. I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough